0: Talk about wealth of knowledge. You you bring it all together. Put
1: the work in now to get yourself structured and organized and documented.
0: We need to grow this top, top line. There is no one size fits all for this industry.
1: Hey there, thanks for checking out this episode of the Restoration Masterclass on Profitability brought to you by CNR and Encircle. The topic for this episode is having an exit strategy and the role that that plays in the overall profitability of your business. You need to have a long term plan for your business, no matter what it is. And so I am excited to have JT Cray with me. He is from Exit Strategies 360, he is also behind m and and a with JT Cray, which is a micro column that you can find on CNR once a month. You can find tons of great information for, from JT on the website and on his website as well. So JT, thank you very much for joining me. Um, for those who are not familiar with you, go ahead and just kind of introduce yourself and share a little bit about your background in the industry.
0: Well, first, thanks so much for having me. It's such a treat, as always. Uh, a little bit about myself. I have been specializing in this space, Michelle, for the last 15 years. I've been an advisor, and MA advisor for the last 23, 20, almost 24 now, I guess, and uh, started in uh, the space around 2007. And really how I got into it, I, I never thought I'd be a specialist, but I, I got pulled into the space. And there's a lot of good people in the space that needed help. And apparently I speak the reconstruction language well, at least that's what I've been told. And uh, now it's about 98% of what I work on is disaster restoration nationally.
1: Okay. All right. Um, So describe the overall concept of having an exit strategy. Like, do people need to have succession planning and exit strategies in place from day one? When should you really be thinking about the concept of having an exit strategy?
0: Well, there's about three big questions in there, but first, no, business owners don't have to have an exit strategy, especially if you're young. Mm -hmm. You know, there are certain advisors that will say you have to have one. You don't start a business without the exit in mind. And that's, you know, let's face it, when we all started businesses, you're so busy and so panicked just trying to get to the end of the day or end of Friday. Who has time for a full-blown exit strategy? And this industry is great for 24-7 work, right? I mean, we all get pulled in a lot of different directions. Yes. But I think the biggest misconception is that an exit strategy doesn't have to be complicated. It's a series of two or three answers mm-hmm. to put your mind at ease and understand where you're going. They think it's this you know, multi-month or multi-year process that has to happen. It isn't. It's it's an understanding of what you're worth and why you're worth what you are. If you were to go a different direction, whether a partnership, whether a sale, whether a, uh, whether you're buying somebody, it's understanding what's driving that value. And if you're a seller, like many of my clients are, then it's an understanding of how do we make you more sellable in the short term? You know, how do we how do we get you cleaned up and and more profitable this year or or next year? And we put a couple of years together that makes you more profitable long term. And then just understanding what your taxes are going to be and how we're going to preserve some wealth. You know, if it's a smaller company, let's say million, million, five. Those are very different answers than if we're selling a 50 million dollar company. And what does that wealth preservation look like? And it's uh, so there's an array of questions, but there's really three or four key questions that need to be answered.
1: Okay, so looking at long term, how does having an exit strategy, you kind of addressed this a little bit already, but help you be profitable over time? I almost I almost envision it, no pun intended, as having like a 10 year, 15 year, 20 year vision so that you can back market. Right. And then have these goals. Is that kind of what it's like?
0: It it is, and 10 or 15 years is an eternity in this space. You know, there's a lot of guys that can't get past Friday, right? They just can't even see past the end of the month, which is fine. That's the nature of this industry. But to be able to come up for air just long enough to understand what you're worth and why, Mm -hmm. and how do I make myself more valuable? Everyone's got, uh, we all do it. We've all got blinders on looking at our business, but to take those off and get the perspective of how would an industry buyer look at me? And what is adding value? What's taking away value? Are there things that I'm doing that I could easily fix to add some value to the bottom line? Uh Regularly, I'll I'll talk to owners. I take them through this process called evaluation and an analysis. And in that analysis, we really explore what it means to add a little value. And if there's something simple that can be done, by all means, let's do it. And I've referred uh, any number of consultants to owners uh, in the two, three, four years leading up to that sale. And we get them as profitable as possible. So it's um, in the short term, it's a peace of mind knowing which direction you're headed. In the long term, it's the ability to maximize that value for the eventual
1: exit. So what are looking at all the restoration companies that you've helped buy and sell over the years? what are some of the common what are some of the common ground areas that you've found from those that are the most profitable? What do those companies specifically seem to have in common?
0: Well, there's I could talk any number of areas, sure. but I think if I hit the top two or three, it's to reduce the dependency on an owner okay, uh-huh. or two owners. Many times they're a husband-wife team or two partners. And if both are working 50, 60, 70 hours, one buyer cannot come in and replace both parties. It just can't happen. So it doesn't mean it's not sellable. It just comes with a price because there's going to be a deduction of value there. So uh, dependency on owners is a big one. Um, Cleanliness of books is another. There's got to be a clean paper trail of how money's coming in and out of the company. And especially if there's a a series of ad backs, those are the personal expenses that many of us run through our businesses. We've got to be able to prove those. And if not, uh, many buyers won't take them, especially lenders, if there's going to be financing involved. So those two um, good qualified team. You know, there's always a tenure of employees. Uh, Any buyer doesn't just buy a business for the owner. Uh, they want to buy it for the team. That's what's going to carry the ball forward into the promised land, you know, and profitability and growth. So those three are key. And I think if there was to be one last one, um, you know, the, the debate about TPA versus direct has always been a big issue, but too much uh, TPA work is going to be a deal breaker for some. Uh, a lot of sellers limit that to 20% or 30% up to upwards of 50%. You get up into 60, 70, 80%. Those are difficult to sell. There's not many buyers looking for that that kind of, you know, the percentage of TPA work, right, wrong, or indifferent. That's just how it shakes out.
1: So for companies that are coming to you then that are kind of lacking in the profitability area, what are one or two things that you, which probably go in line with what you just said, one or two things that you say, okay, let's work on these over the next three, six, 12 months, whatever that may be to help reverse course here or turn the tide,
0: well, sometimes it's just one or two, too many people, right? I mean, it's it, COVID threw us all a wrench with staffing and how we, you know, cost of goods calculations and, and uh, both with material and labor. So sometimes it's very obvious. Most of that has sort of worked through the system the last couple of years, as we've all figured out how to deal with COVID. Mm-hmm. But with the number of restoration companies that I look at, it's pretty easy for me to say, why is this expense category so high? It should be in this range based on other companies. You know, why is this so low? Why is it classified somewhere else? And so there's a series of questions that I just take uh, sellers through that that can hit the the high points or the obvious points. And sometimes uh, I, I work in the world of adjusted EBITDA, not, not just net profit. And sure. many of the viewers will probably understand what that is. Yeah. But many times it's just low and they don't understand why. And I'll say, we need to be a little bit higher. It, it should be. And if it isn't, what's going to happen is I will try to recommend a consultant to say, listen, there's, if the owner doesn't understand where they're lacking and where we can add five, six, eight percentage points or more, and that, that three to eight, sometimes 10 percentage points doesn't sound like a lot. But let's say you're doing several million in sales. There's hundreds of thousands of dollars on the bottom line. You apply a multiple to that. There's millions of dollars of added value that can be created upon an exit with very small changes. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. If we can fix it now, it's going to come back in spades later.
1: Is there a point in business ownership where, okay, so maybe you don't have an exit plan like me. I'm a year and a half into this. So maybe I don't have an exit plan quite yet. I have no idea. But let's say you're looking like, okay, I know I want to retire or get out of it in a decade or whatever. Is there a time frame where you look at like, okay, as you get closer to, that retirement age or knowing you want to get out. Is there a year where it's like, all right, if you, if you're 10 years out or five years out, you better start exit. You might, you might, you need an exit strategy. Now
0: you hit the nail on the head. It's five years. I mean, people will say they're on a three to five year plan and emotionally, Michelle three to five years is just far enough where they don't have to address it right now, but it's close enough to make it real. So many people's three to five year plans turn into an eight or 10 year plan. But Once you hit that five-year mark, what it does is it gives you a year or two to clean up the books, sort of tighten up the business model, get it performing just the way you want, and then you have two or three years of nice, clean performance on the books. That's how your business is going to be valued. Many times people will call me and they'll say, I'm on a three to five-year plan. I go through the valuation analysis and we we get them a plan, we get them a, a consultant, and a month later they want it out. And they don't have it cleaned up to where they want to be. It's not where they want it to be for value. And it's frustrating. And regularly I hear, I should have called you when when selling first crossed my mind. But I can't back up at that point. So we, we then work with what we have. And it's a little bit lacking in their minds. But that five years is a nice clean break. It's a nice window to start from. And because you go through a process and get a few answers, it doesn't mean you have to sell. It just means you're getting prepared. So you can pull the trigger on a sale eight or 10 years down the road. In fact, sometimes we we take an owner who's working 80 hours a week and we get them down to 40, which feels like part time. And now they don't want to sell. They keep it another two, three years. And that's a victory as well. Yes. So I'm, I'm not on the, the committee of selling. That's not, I don't have any say in that. That's between them and their spouses or business partners. But um, if we can sort of keep their sanity and make it more valuable and get them prepped to sell, the
1: timing is all theirs. So how have um how have the multiples changed in the last maybe 12, 18 months or so? I think that they were a little bit higher and then the economy has changed a little bit. So where are we at? We're recording this at the end of January 2023 for people to have mm-hmm. kind of a mark in their calendar when we're talking about this. But what are multiples looking like right now?
0: The multiples, let's go back a few years just to start. They were yeah. high. You are correct. The private equity came in and started pushing those up. Um, uh, industry strategics you know everybody was trying to expand and that's a great thing with the cost of capital the the last uh, year in particular those multiples have come down just a touch Um, doesn't mean the market has slowed Uh, the deal structure is just a little bit different and to most owners Michelle they wouldn't even know they, they won't know what they could have gotten. Um, it's such a small difference. Most owners wouldn't even know what that is just based on deal structure. So it's down just a touch. They're still very solid. The industry is still deemed a very safe place to park funds. It's yeah. still uh, on the smaller deals. They're still very SBA financeable. There's still hundreds of private equity groups who want in uh, on the larger deals. And um, uh, it, the future's still bright. There, there's, uh, there's no slowing down. Uh, for the industry, not for the foreseeable future.
1: Do you see any um, change or adjustment in interest when it comes to PE or even like the bigger firms that are buying up companies? Obviously, the pool of sellable companies that are independent is getting smaller are you seeing any changes in where that's sitting you know where my question is going so
0: yeah i'm not <laughs> i understand the question and i'm not because there's so many companies depending on who you talk to there's anywhere from ten thousand to 22 23 000, and the vast majority of those are so small they're going to be tough to sell yep. you know the smaller franchises the smaller independents uh, it doesn't mean they're not it's just difficult but there's there's still a lot of larger companies and through this consolidation those consolidated groups are going to start selling in the upcoming years. Mm -hmm. So there there hasn't been a slowdown and I I don't expect to see it. There's just such a volume of larger independence and the, and the demographic of these owners. There's so many that started in the, in the late eighties, the nineties, the early two thousands and 20, 25, 30 years in now they're 55, 60, 65, and they're ready to do something different.
1: Yep. Perfect. Okay. JT, anything else that you want to add related to exit succession planning profitability anything anything we haven't talked about
0: the, the only thing i would add is that most people get intimidated by they hear the term exit strategies and they or an exit strategy and they think it's a series of meetings with guys in you know white shirts and ties and it doesn't have to be that way again the if there's Helen two or three Testament answers just, it, that's right it, if if you have two or three burning questions and you get answers on those and it clarifies the road ahead that is an exit strategy So for those listening, it just doesn't have to be intimidating. And the answers are, they're not that complicated to get.
1: Perfect. Well, JT, thank you very much for your time and your expertise. Again, you can find JT at exitstrategies360.com. You can also find him on CNR and jump over to his website from there. So JT, thank you very much. I hope you have an awesome rest of your day.
0: Excellent. Thanks so much, Michelle. Take care.